You're listening to episode 296 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with The Magicians and its first season. But tonight, when I say I'm joined by my co-host, Wayne, we are back together in the studio. It has been forever. It's been a long, long time. It's so long, I, I, I couldn't remember which house. <laughs> right. I went to the wrong house at first. Right. You're not the house with the for sale sign, are you? Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, mm, there's a minivan and a for sale sign. I'm thinking this is not the house. Well, you didn't see the GTR he's got there. Uh, he, no. He got it used for 70 grand. Oh, 70 grand. Oh, that thing. Seriously, it's like 700 horsepower. Nice. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I said, dude, I didn't even get to drive it and you're moving. But, but uh, <laughs> Well, nah, maybe he'll let you take a spin before he nah, goes. Probably not. But, uh, but yeah, actually, I thought of uh, having a trivia contest the last time, the last episode of our podcast that we were together in the studio. Yeah. And then I thought, well, yeah, but then I'm going to have to go back and figure right. out when <laughs> that is. Yeah. It's just more work for you. Yeah, but, but uh, it's uh, it's been a few years for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, this is great, man. Um, all right. Well, we are here to talk about the magicians tonight. And as always, if you want to send us some feedback or questions, emails, go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip the way Fred does. Send us the attachment as an MP3 or encourage you to join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. Now, uh, tip of the week. You know, I, I've i got one, and I know it's something I think I've talked about in the past, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. And, and uh, um, I was at the uh, – I've mentioned many times when I go to the deli, we end up just talking TV shows, and they're all mm-hmm. big Marvel fans there. Oh, have you seen Deadpool? I'm like, what is this, a conspiracy? I, I Dude, I can't tell you enough times, man. I just, know. Just go ahead and watch it. You'll thank me. I Trust know. me. So, uh, But anyway, <laughs> you know, I've mentioned the – OA. I think that was my tip of the week last week. Mm-hmm. So if you are a fan of the OA, and in particular the co-creator, co-writer, actor Britt Marling, who plays Prairie Johnson, you might want to check out Mike Cahill's film, Another Earth. And I think I've mentioned this. Uh, I feel like you have, yeah. But it's been several years because I watched it before the OA was even on anybody's radar. Sure. It just looked like a cool film, and I rewatched it. I I guess I couldn't remember exactly what had happened, but Cahill, who's the director, Britt Marling, and then the OA co-creator and director, Zal Batmangli, all attended Georgetown University together. Did they? So my sister went to Georgetown. What's that? My sister went to Georgetown. Uh, Anyway, they made made films while they were still in college. And this film was an indie film, and and it it got a lot of buzz. and it follows a young woman who just graduated from high school with a full ride to MIT to study astrophysics. And this is Britt Marling, who's the mm-hmm. lead character in the OA. She gets convicted of DUI manslaughter after celebrating, and she ends up serving four years in prison. She's just been released. And we learned that the accident was caused when she lost focus, um, certainly in part to the fact that she was inebriated. Sure. But she heard a radio report that astronomers had detected a previously unknown planet that seems to mirror the qualities and elements of Earth, and they end up referring to it as Earth 2. Hmm. So the story follows her journey towards redemption 
as the Earth 2 story takes place in the background. And what's happening is Earth 2 is gradually getting closer to Earth. Uh. And there are a lot of the same themes and ideas that we see in the OA. Uh-huh. It's 90 minutes. It's, I mean, again, if you're an OA fan, if you're a Brit Marling fan, it's, it's worth checking out. It's yeah. called Another Earth. Check it out. I got two, but one I'm, I'm only going to mention really quickly because I just uh, finished. I think I told you I was watching Deadwood when you had said how uh, you'd only watched like two seasons of it. So I finally watched uh, season three. And obviously after the, the last episode, I'm like, oh, well, they clearly didn't think their show was going to be canceled because there is like zero resolution to this show, which but luckily 13 years after it was canceled uh, this in about a month. HBO is coming out with a movie, uh, the Deadwood movie. Really? How did yeah. I not hear that? I don't know. See, this is actually why I watched Deadwood because I it always had kind of the back of my mind because I knew it was only three seasons, pretty easy to catch up on it. And then I saw uh, something the HBO was doing about what they were showing this year and the, the Deadwood movie. I'm like, oh, this is a good time to watch it. Then. I'm just stunned that I haven't. I mean, I'm on the internet a lot, as yeah. you know. Um, but uh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't see anything about this. On the internet, I just saw it like like uh, you know HBO. Is I think right before I was gonna watch uh, John Oliver. Okay, so so yeah, that's the first one. Deadwood, pretty good. Um, no, obviously not genre, but yeah, it leads me to think: wouldn't it be cool if you took like the Wild West like that, but made the show that it was in space? You could have like a a roguish Han Soloish type captain. Yeah, you could have like uh, like his right hand man, or maybe even a woman. Who's like really good with weapons, a good fighter, you know, and um, you know, like a wisecracking pilot, you know, like a, a young doctor running from some secret past. Um, How about and, a sweet female mechanic? Yeah, an attractive oh female mechanic. That's a good spin on okay. that one because you know mechanics are usually guys. Yeah. You can even throw like a like a prostitute in there, okay. you know, who's. You know, at odds with the captain all the time. You know, I just was thinking that would be such a great show, you know, like that'd be really awesome. I like it. So (laughs) the other thing of the week was uh, Captain Marvel, which can't really talk about too much because I know you haven't seen it, but was a really good movie. Took the kids to to see it the other day. And it was, you know, again, pretty standardish, fair, you know, superhero type origin story. There was a little twist because... Basically, the whole movie, she's trying to find out like who she is, and uh, but Samuel L. Jackson was in it. Though they did the thing where they make him look like you know forty years younger, and uh, is it Clark Kellogg? Is that the no? That's the basketball Clark. player. <laughs> He's great. Uh, gosh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the um, Clark Gregg. Clark Gregg, the uh, um, agent. What's his name? Phil Coulson. Coulson. Uh, from the Iron Man movies, Avengers movies, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was also in it some, uh, aged back a couple decades, which, you know, it actually was not, like, it didn't stick out as much as it, like, as, like, Michael Douglas, for example, in Ant-Man, you know, the the, the first scene of Ant-Man, which you haven't seen that either, so. No. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, so it was actually pretty well done, but the, you know, the stories uh, was really good. Uh, Brie Larson, awesome as Captain Marvel. She was, you know, stellar, stellar acting job. And, uh, yeah, kids liked it. Cool. It's not a, not as good as Black Panther, but it's pretty good. Okay. All right. Well, since you had two, I've got my okay. tip, tip part B, and I'll just be real quick. 
What We Do in the Shadows. Based on a movie, it's now a series on the FX network. And I've seen the first two episodes. I think that's all that's aired, actually. Mm -hmm. And Michael brought this to my attention. Think Dracula meets The Office. Okay. So you've got a group (laughs) of vampires that live together Uh in this house. And they've been tasked, although it's been a couple hundred years, they're supposed to take over the new world. But they they haven't really gotten around to it yet. They're like millennials, you know. Well, uh, but uh, it is. You know, try to get caught up on the OA here. The world can wait. Yeah, (laughs) and they're they're short, half hour episodes. Okay. Yeah, what we do in the shadows. I didn't expect I was going to like it, and then once you start seeing how it's filmed with that sort of documentary ish style Uh that is so familiar for anybody that's watched The Office. And the parks and rec too. Right. Exactly. Looking into the camera and, uh, it's, it's just really funny. So cool. All right. Well, why don't we get to the magicians? Let's talk about the magicians. And this is episode two of season one, the source of magic written by Sarah Gamble, who co-wrote one Oh one with John McNamara. And as we said last week, they're the showrunners and co-creators. When we say co-creators, obviously it's, it's based on a novel. Directed by Scott Smith, and it aired January 25th, 2016, along with 101. So uh, before we talk about some of the characters, though, it seems to me the fundamental question that strikes me is that if The Magicians is a multiverse exploration, that it seems that's where we're headed, and Fillory is simply a parallel dimension did the beast come from Fillory or a third dimension? Right. So we'll we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. Okay. But we thought it would be a good idea to maybe talk about our reactions to the characters now that we're two episodes in. And you know, we can go in any order, but might as well start with Quentin Coldwater. Sure. Yep. And I, I still, like I said last week, I'm still not really uh-huh. bonding with him. It's still that desperation that doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah, that whole oh, if I get if I you know get kicked out of here, what do I do? You know, it's like I get I get that. I I, I kind of hold to like last week that. Quentin, um, you know, obviously was created as a character um, to, you know, kind of to bond with the probably geekier elements of the genre audience and everything. Um, but he's not like a um, like Connor in uh, Primeval, you know. Oh, okay, right. You know, like Connor was definitely probably the most like blatant like character created to – you know, try and, you know, become simpatico with the Star Wars fans of, of the world. So Quentin's not as, he's certainly not there for any kind of amusement or comedic purposes because he's not funny at all. He does have a certain amount of gravitas to him, but you're right. It's kind of like, okay, I get that you've always felt out of place. He, you know, kind of definitely suffers from a little bit of depression and everything. Yeah, you're always kind of like, you know, get get it together, dude, you know? Like, well, and you mentioned Connor, and the thing about Connor is he was always so upbeat mm-hmm. that, that, you know, as you said, I mean, he was certainly there in a lot of instances for comic relief, and we don't 
obviously see that with Quentin. But the other, I guess the thing, though, that I did, you mentioned the gravitas, and the thing about Quentin in this episode, and I forget her name, the, she's, I guess she's the acting dean while Dean Fogg's in the hospital. Oh, yeah. But she tells him, you know, you're, just, you're very unremarkable. There's really nothing <laughs> special about you. And, uh, of course, we're thinking, this guy's already in a funk. Yeah. But you're telling him you still have a place here. So... You know, there is that. Now, we thought you mentioned desperation, as did I. And, and Julia Wicker, I mean, she's got a desperation as well, but it comes more from the fact that she's already been rejected. And, and what I love about her is her tenacity that, you know, look, as coaches, I mean, how many times have we said over the years, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. Yeah. And, and, and of course, that's what she does, that, that she was momentarily crushed when she got rejected at break bills. And then once she gets this other invitation, she's not going to waste it. And certainly that desperation is there, but who's your favorite character? Even before we go on, do you have one? Um, that's, that's tough. Um, I guess, was it Elliot? Okay. Yeah. I like Elliot. I think he's fun. I would say he's my favorite male character for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Julia's not bad as a female. Um, Katie could be the worst. Oh. Really? Yo, Katie's you my like favorite her? female character. She does it for you, huh? Ah, like the bad girls, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, of course, now in this episode, we've we've got that question, why is she being blackmailed by Pete? I mean, it certainly feels like blackmail. Yeah, I mean, it might be something else, but it certainly feels that way. She doesn't seem to be yeah, a willing, hundred uh, percent participant in this, right? But yeah, you know, I just like her. I, I like her, that that attitude she has. And look, I, I mean, I could say, and she's attractive, but that pretty much is every character, male and female, in yeah. this in this show. True. But Elliot, it's not even made by the CW, right? Yeah, right, it should be. Uh, but Elliot, who, who really is my favorite male character at this point, and we learn that he's telekinetic. It's that English aristocratic feel that he has, even though he doesn't have an English accent. Right. The, the, the clothes he wears, the attitude. It's always cocktail time somewhere. Yeah, And when we get that final scene with the barbecue, and, and, and certainly it's an uplifting scene, and we might even see Quentin smile. I, yeah, I believe he did smile a little bit. So, Yeah, yeah like Elliot is, yeah, he's the, you know, I mean, he, he's just, he, he just kind of takes life as it is, you know. Um, when Quentin is distressed about, um, making it so a beast could enter the school, you know, it's like, dude, like the whole third year class died. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is nothing. Like, yeah, like really, this is this is not that big of a deal. So, um, you know, he's he's definitely got perspective uh, on things and is a good kind of counterpoint to yeah, you know, like Quentin's mopey, oh me, oh the world type, and Ellie's just like, eh. Let it go and get something to drink, you know? Right. Now, Alice Quinn, I, I, I guess what I like about her is the fact that she shouldn't be there. 
And you wonder how many people know that. I mean, we find out, and I forget who it is that, that brings well, I it figure up. at some point she would have had to register and been like, um, you're not on the list. <laughs> you know, like, Right. It might have even been Katie, because I don't think it was Margot. But it's like, how'd you get in here? You weren't invited. Apparently, they've got a security system that right. could tell. And she mentions, well, maybe it's because my parents are legacies. Um, I think certainly we start thinking that maybe there's some kind of DNA connection with her brother who died there. I mean, could her could her brother have been a twin with her? And, you know, maybe that's how she got in. But like you said, look, by the time you're registering for classes and the one teacher in episode one calls her up to the front of the room. So, yeah. so at some point I feel like, you know, the administration would have caught up with this kid who just started going to classes yeah, like, right. Like a teacher, been like, um, you're definitely not on my list. Uh, you know, you should go see the uh, the secretary, the registrar, and everything. Like, right. Like and, and then you don't know what to really make of the way she dresses, because on the one hand, and and I think again, I think it's Katie. Although it could have been Margot, make some kind of mention. Come on, let me give you some clothes. Yes. To, I forget exact word she uses, but to show off those assets, and <laughs> uh, of course, that never changes, but. I mean, you know, on the one hand, like it's like the, at, what she wears on the top is, is like puritanical, and what she wears on the bottom is like, you know, seventies miniskirts, and, uh-huh. and and what on the one hand she's this good girl who's just kind of trying to stay unnoticed. On the other hand, she's willing to do whatever it takes, and if that means summoning somebody from the other side, who in this case turns out to be the beast. Then she's willing to do it. So right. It, well, yeah, because we see Alice at first, and from what everyone else says about her, we assume she's the uptight, um, study studies all the time type student, the Hermione Granger, dare I say, and we discover that. Well, yeah, she kind of is, but like school bears no importance. For her at all, like she's got this, she's got an agenda, and um, or uh, as Walter said, a vagenda. And and she'll, like you said, she'll she'll do whatever it takes to to carry that out. So she doesn't care if she fails her classes, like classes and break bills and all this is just a, a means to an end, which is kind of like a you know a good foil. From Quentin, who is like, despite being told by the Fillory people to just forget about school, leave it, you don't need it, you're, it's dangerous there, he clings to it desperately. Like, that's all he wants. You know, Alice could take it or leave it. She wants to find out what happened to her brother. Yeah. And you get the impression that Break Bills mm-hmm. is like, you know, a lot of art schools, a lot of film schools, music schools. The kids that are really talented don't graduate. Because they're dropping out of school to go on the road with some band or to, you know, act in some film or, or you know, that, that they're that talented. And right. you get the idea that the the teachers and the administrators at Break Bills understand that about their students. And that on the one hand, it almost seems like classes are perfunctory to a certain extent in that, uh, you know, we're going to teach all these other lesser ability kids 
I don't know. Do they pay tuition at Brain Bills? I don't know. I guess we've never really <laughs> covered that. But right. uh, you know, almost Doesn't like, seem like uh, Quentin is. At least. I mean, it's almost like you got to. You know, it's like you got to have enough guys and girls to field a team, so to speak. So right. we don't really know how much. You know, we did have that scene in in the first episode where they were doing the the little tour, and over here we have the empaths, and over here, right? right? So you know, so we'll see. I don't exactly know how i feel about penny I, I certainly didn't like the fact that he slugged well uh, quentin and, well quentin had that coming though yeah he did but again you're so much bigger than he is yeah well i mean I, well i mean it started with him you know ratting quentin out right like he's just like yeah i'll, I'll tell you who did it yeah you know it's like well that's completely uncool like you know i i know what you're saying and ordinarily i would agree and i i'm still there's another thing i'm really torn about because this is pretty damn serious what quentin and alice did with this summoning spell right so on the one hand it but really Penny is important. was right there too i well, recall well, yeah because the voice in his head told him to which is another oh. cool thing about penny that uh that we learn he is uh um, or he he was taught magic by the voice in his head, right? So, which apparently was the beast, right? And he doesn't want to be there at this point. You never got the sense he wanted to be there, even in the beginning. Sure, but now he's ready to leave. And where else are you have floating sex? Though? Well, I, mean, I guess like, Katie said, you know, I'm amazing. Yeah. So why would you want to leave? Yeah, but yeah. Well, and there's that thing where she's just like, oh, you know, just. He's about to leave. He's just like, well, let's just do one more thing. And you think like, <laughs> of course, hey, know. more floating sex. Like, uh, oh, wait, no, they're stealing stuff. Right. If there's anybody out there that's seen this that didn't think that's what she meant, yeah. then you're lying. Yeah. Right. So, but I, I guess for me, two episodes in, I, I really do like the characters. Every one of them has something that I find compelling and you know, e- even the ones, the adults, if you will, that we haven't really talked about, like Dean Fogg. And uh, God, I can't think of I've got her name in my notes somewhere. Did you ever watch House? Not really, no. Okay, we, we ended up watching it for about a year where the reruns were on when we were eating dinner. So we'd, uh-huh. we'd, we'd watch like three episodes every night. So eventually okay. we saw them all. Right. But that's where I know her from. But um, I mean, certainly one of the storylines is the aftermath of the incident in the classroom with the beast. And, and we see, I guess, what they're trying to do is debrief the different individuals. And, and of course, we learn that there's a connection between the beast and Quentin that seems to be beyond the spell casting. Yeah. Well, I, we've you know kind of seen numerous examples of that. Well, which is funny that the... Um, I can't remember, whoever, whatever that lady in charge basically tells Quentin, no, you're not special because, you know, it It seems like he is, like there is something special about him from the fillery uh, characters, their advice to him, to the Beast acknowledging Quentin out of everyone else in the room. But, uh, you know, the other lady says, nah, nah. Eliza is her name. Okay, yeah. But you know what I thought of when she tells him that? I, I mean, is that really almost to to see if she can get him to rise above any insecurities he has? Because as you said, we've known from 
scene one, episode one, that there's this he that is going to be critical in defeating the beast. And we know that the he is Quentin. So even though she tells him you're unremarkable and you're getting a second chance, but don't blow it again, even though she knows he is a key, maybe the key. Yeah. And well, and well, a, it could be just a, like if this kid is walking around thinking that he is something special and he's the chosen one or whatever, then he won't do what needs to be done or whatever. Or the other half could be she, like the characters of Fillory, want him actually to go out on his own and, and not try to stay secluded here in the, the safe walls of the school. So how does the beast get through? I mean, obviously the mirror, but there, you know, is it the summoning spell? I mean, they weren't doing the summoning spell in the classroom when it happened. I think I mentioned uh, last time, did they just get the time wrong? Did, did, did they get the 12 o'clock wrong? And that, you know, now the, the beast is coming out, but there does seem to be that connection. But at first I wasn't sure whether it was the beast or Dean Fogg that gives Quentin that pocket watch, but I'm pretty sure it's Dean Fogg. Yeah. Well, that's what they, they didn't, they show that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, it happens so fast and the, right. and the, and the, the beast is right there, but, yeah. but uh, yeah, uh, but the watch turns to dust. Yeah. Any thoughts uh, on that one? I mean, I, I mean, it's a, it's a general symbol of mortality. Uh, I, I don't know. Right. I mean, about holding on to time, that time is right. fleeting, and, uh, yeah. you know, that, that uh, get your act together and, and defeat the beast. Because, uh, of course, we get that scene later on where Eliza visits Dean Fogg in the hospital. And, uh, I mean, what a terrible situation he's in. Fortunately, yeah. he's got magicians around him because as she alludes that she'll be able to fix his hands, fix his eyes. So well, that's good. Uh, yeah, that is good. Given that we saw his eyeballs lying <laughs> yeah, just, on the table. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of the nerves came out with it too. Yeah. But, so. uh, but you know, as I said at the top of the podcast, essentially it appears we're dealing with a multiverse, right. which I love. I mean, it's one of my sure. favorite. Uh, yeah, I love the multiverse. Um, yeah, uh, thing, like, science fiction, especially Fringe. You know, that was awesome. I yeah, mean. And, and I mean, of the OA, which you haven't seen season two yet. I mean, it really becomes a lot more clear. And I'm okay. not going to say anymore. I'm not going to say anymore. I'm actually rewatching season one right now. Okay, but you're um, right. It's those first so, couple episodes. Right. So, <laughs> did the Beast come from one of these other universes? Um, I mean, it would certainly seem so. We just are still, I guess, getting the lay right. of the land here. Which is exactly why I would think he he doesn't, because it just seems like they're setting that up too easily. Okay. You know? like, like the big ironic twist would be, you know, he's like an actual student there or something, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, the the other thing that she tells Dean Fogg when, when she visits him in the hospital, that they didn't expect the Beast this soon and Quentin and Penny obviously aren't ready. And so uh, they've had the beast on the radar. So, you know, is there some sort of a, a, a knowledge of all of these other universes, uh, sort of like Charlie Jade, where, you know, the beta knows about the gamma, which knows about the, the alpha. 
are they able to keep tabs on whatever universe that the beast is in? And I, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, certainly either. something that, that, that we have to know, but it certainly seems as if they've encountered the beast previously. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's not like they definitely knew who he was. And it's not like they were like, who was that guy who just attacked our school? Like, Oh yeah, it's that, that's the beast. Right. Now, Elliot befriending Quentin is one of my favorite storylines sure. that, that's going on here. And he tells him, and, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, that there's a bad story around here every few years. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the class that's down to only four students from you know whatever it was, 20 or 40, whatever they started with, um, that you, you just have to deal with it. And, and coming from Elliot, who says it to him almost as an afterthought. He might even have a drink in one hand or he's getting ready to make a drink. But but you know he's serious. And and Quentin, I think, even though he hasn't known Elliot that long and he mentions that, I think he does take it to heart that, that he does realize that making mistakes are going to be part of the deal while he's at break bills. And if he's going to go into a depression every time he makes a mistake, then... Well, yeah, and and uh, you know, Elliot has a you know fairly poignant story there. Yeah, about how a kid was bullying him, and he ended up killing him. Like he didn't obviously he didn't understand that he was powerful. He didn't understand he had this ability. This is what opened up that ability to Elliot. But still, he is obviously affected. But you know what he says is you know. Logan Kinnear died instantly, and I ruined my favorite button downs, which is kind of like just like Elliot, right? Like this traumatic thing happened, but really, the the worst part about it was I got my shirt dirty, you know. So he he definitely is able to distance himself from pain, which again is can be a, a good thing. It makes you tough, but you know, there's also I, I imagine we're going to see some negative aspects of uh, you know Elliot's ability to avoid. Uh, unpleasantness or pain or or to not really think about but when you want something needs to get something done especially in the clutch you know i guess ellie is kind of the person you want well he even says magic comes from pain but i guess what i thought of and we've certainly seen this a lot and you've got more experience in this area than i do but the whole superhero origin story where they don't realize the latent abilities that they have and you know i think we've, we've said before that a moment of stress brings out this power. And of course, when you're young, you don't know how to handle it. And you eventually learn to harness it. So at 14, yes, he did kill a young boy. But what's the point in dwelling on that? I've got to move on. And and on the one hand, coming from Elliot, it, it almost seems like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but we that's not true. You know, we, we know that's not how he really Right, feels. and you can see by how he's telling it that he was affected. But you also, you can also see that he knows, like, the hand wringing is not going to do anything. It's not going to bring the kid back. And I'm sure Elliot is pragmatic enough to know, well, I mean, I know I did it, but I didn't mean for that to happen. I didn't, you know, I didn't intend for this kid to die. I just thought about it. And then it happened, and I was horrified, and you know, right. so. Right, and then when he goes to the barbecue that's hosted by Elliot at the, at the end, we're wondering, is he going to live in this house? Does Elliot uh, live in this house? Do the others? I mean, 
Q was in the dorm right, right. With, with Penny. So uh, obviously the two of them are, are probably not going to want to stay roommates no. for much longer. But, but this yeah. certainly looks like a, a nice place to live if that's in fact. And sure. I think Quentin's carrying. Yeah, he's got like his stuff. His stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I was like, yeah, I was wondering like, why does he have his stuff? Because he's not getting kicked out of school. Right. right. But he's not alone any longer. And obviously that's been a big theme of, of each sure. of the individual characters that that yeah. that isolation that they've each felt. And, and certainly we see it to the nth degree with Quentin. Somebody like Katie exhibits it in a completely different manner. But we get the idea once we learn her backstory she probably was the same as, you know, were, were the others. But it's a great scene. And as I said, I'm pretty sure he smiles in that uh, yeah. final bit where he's walking up. But but the other thing is the impact on Penny. And, you know, we said Katie tries to talk him out of it. He explains to her about that voice and the fact that the voice was his only friend. Yeah. And, and again, you look at somebody and, and again – don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, how many times have we told our students that? Right. But you look at somebody like Quentin and, okay, fine. That's a kid that I understand felt isolated and didn't have any friends. But when you look at somebody like Penny, it would seem to me he's big man on campus. Right. Wherever he is. Like literally, he's a big guy. <laughs> right. And yet, as he says, that voice was literally his only friend. And Again, we we understand why as we we learn more about these different characters, and you know, as you said, he's the one that ratted Quentin out. But it's that great scene where they spell each other, right? In, in, you know, in the quad or whatever that I don't know. Was, what. Yeah, like it was apparently a big no no is throwing the the combat uh, spell right. out, and but of course Quentin didn't. He was just repeating something he saw what did he see katie doing it i'm not against sure. the beast like you know he he so he's just repeating a motion he's i think that he's that not katie um sorry alice right i think he saw alice do it and so he repeated it like obviously not really knowing exactly what he was doing but probably on some level yeah a little bit knowing what he was doing actually it might have been katie now that i think about it but but anyway uh, that's yeah, yeah. not important um you know, and then, you know, Penny's just like, oh, no, you didn't, you know, and um, that's when I thought he was going to go through, like, because, like, he knocks him in the air and he's, like, flying through the air. And there's, like, that little statue there kind of had, like, two uprights. I thought he was, like, going to go through them like like he was a field goal or exactly. something. Been, exactly. But, but they, uh, they didn't do that. They, oh, they had a chance for a little bit of humor there and they, they let, it, let it go. But what's great is the professor, Eliza, sees this and, and look, of course, on the one hand, she has to discipline them. On the other hand, you're too talented to expel. So yeah. get to the affirm, infirmary. Right. And e even that's a, gr a great scene when the uh, doctor or whatever she is that comes in and, and heals his shoulder. And you got to love it. They just were using battle magic on each other. And Penny still won't let up. And, you know, just a great scene. But the part of the story with Julia and her test she finds herself in league with other hedge witches. What the hell's a hedge witch? I meant to look that up. <laughs> um, so, like, I know, like a, a hedge knight 
would be a night, well, at least in the Game of Thrones world. Um, I, I assume George R. R. Martin got this April from fourteenth. Like, it know, returns. Yeah, um, you know, like a night that doesn't have like a lord to serve and everything. So he's kind of wandering off on his own, like a cell sword, someone who is. And I think that's that's that might be a thing. I don't know. It's a thing in the Game of Thrones world. So okay. You know. Well, you know, she finds herself. It locked in a meat locker. And we, as soon as he opens the door and tells her, you know, this is where we keep some of our, you know, you know, potions or whatever, our, our supplies, we know he's going to lock her in. And right away, we know it's a test. So we don't really fear for Julia's life. We don't think this guy's some psycho that's going to murder her or anything like that. But the girl that she's with, is and of course turns out to be a plant but for the longest time you know we 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 start to ask well how did this girl get in she's not helping at all all she's sitting there doing is screaming every time something bad happens and julia is just like shut up and let me think you know get us out of here the other girl claims to have never heard of break bills but of course we find out all of that is uh part of the test right and what I love is that whole idea of the test, which is that, you know, there's going to be situations where magic is not going to get you out of the fix that you're in. Yes. And you can't always depend on it. And as a test, I really, I really like that. Which is what we, we had said last week is that there's you know this other group who, you know, they seem sketchy at parts, but yet they also like, I mean, that's, that's a solid like training lesson right there. You know, that you have to have skills like real world skills. Like you're not going to be able to wave a magic wand and solve everything. Every now and then you're going to have to, you know, figure stuff out. You have to listen, kids, you're going to have to put down the phone and, you know, actually think for yourself. Right. Unless you're using the phone as a flashlight. Right, which everybody seems to be doing these days in any TV show you watch. But the girl that she's with turns out to be a level 42. And see what I did there? Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Mark King, man. He's one of my favorite bass players. All right, level 50. <laughs> but uh, And she shows the tattoos, and I'm thinking like, okay, first of all, I'm not real big on tattoos on women, but – all those stars up and down the yeah no I mean it was bad enough that we had to watch Julia get her first star I'm thinking oh god yeah kind of limits you in what you can wear but yeah right yeah but yeah well I guess if you have magic you always do like do like a magic covering spell maybe or something I don't know right but you know after she realizes that she passed Pete's test. And and we do see that Pete knows magic because he locks the door with his hands and and, and you know doesn't touch the door. But uh, I was saying you can lock doors with your hands, <laughs> yeah, without using magic. Okay, <laughs> good point. Um, I do but, it all the time. But that that line when she says, "Why would I even trust you?" Right, and the girl says, "Why would you trust anyone?" Yeah. Here endeth the lesson again. Yes. And (laughs) I I love how they've 
right from the start, split our core group into two camps, mm-hmm. into two teams that appear to be opposing, but we don't know that yet. Really, we don't know who Pete is. We don't know Pete's background. We don't know, did he get booted from break bills? Uh, or maybe he graduated. You know, like they say, they don't care what you do once you graduate. They, right. They teach you magic while you're there. So maybe he got out like, listen, you know, I think you're kind of declining a lot of talented, useful kids. I'm going to go teach them magic, but like not this half-assed magic you guys do. I'm going to teach them the real stuff. Right. You know? And then when we see Pete and the level 50 girl waiting in the car, we assume they're waiting for Julia. But then Katie shows up, is supposed to give them that crystal, which I guess is some sort of a protection uh, crystal. Right. And that I guess initially Penny took it. But did yeah, that was like confusing it? how that thing got around because basically Eliza tells, um, you know, Quentin. Like, cough it up. Like, I know you got Then He gives it to her, right? Didn't he have it? She takes it from him with magic. Right, okay. He doesn't even know she took it. So so it's there, and then all of a sudden, so it, it's potentially not the same crystal. I mean, that's that's always a possibility. But if it is, then, you know, like, wait, how did it get from Eliza to Katie? Right. Emerson's alloy repellent, whatever that exactly all is. Right. But- Clearly, Katie is beholden to them. They've got something on her. They're blackmailing her, or they've got something she wants. We don't know, but she tells them, trust me, I'll get you something good. Here's a book. We don't know what the book is, but they do seem you know, reasonably pleased. It's not what they expected, but it'll do for now. Right. The question is why, and then, of course, as we said, Julia sure. gets her first star tattoo. And, and then the last story, is Fillory real? And obviously, it's it seems to be leaning in the direction that, yes, it is, as part of this multiverse that, that we're seemingly presented with, that Fillory is, in fact, just one of those levels. And... You know, on the one hand, Alice and Quentin have to deal with what they did with the spell. And then he goes into that discussion about Fillory. And I don't know about you, but I was a little surprised she seemed to have no recognition of yeah. the Fillory books. Well, I mean, I, I, I think at first I was a little surprised. But now from our discussion, what we said about Alice and how she is completely single-minded and basically you know be all my thoughts bloody or be nothing worth um you know she's just focused on this mission she's always on mission and so anything i mean she sees him like why are you reading those kids books you know like she's really disdainful like this is a complete waste of time you're not learning anything you know whatever so so this just kind of intensifies that notion of her as being a single-minded individual who blocks out everything in her world that is not directly related to getting to what she wants to do, doing what she wants to do. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's just taken aback by the fact that she doesn't tells the story, which is certainly fills in the gaps for the viewer as well that no, these people were real. These kids were real. They lived next door to the guy that wrote the book. And then, 
talks about the the disappearances of not only the characters in the story but the characters in real the individuals in real life right so obviously that's pointing us in that direction that certainly becomes important and then while penny sleeps Quentin steals that protection charm, goes to meet Eliza and, and, uh, you know, thinks he's going to get his memory wiped. And and of course he doesn't, but he brings up the lost book that Mm -hmm. he had uh, been given. Eliza gave it to him. Right. Eliza gave, I think I said the, the substitute Dean's name was Eliza. It's, it's not, it's no Eliza is like the specialist. Right. Right. That the, in fact, you had mentioned that, her paramedic uniform last yeah. week seemed a little yes. too tailored. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the other dean is Professor Pearl Sunderland. Okay, there you played go. Played by Anne Dudek. Who right, I she's where I've seen her. Well, I've. Seen I mean, you her saw her at house. house right, right, but but he asks Eliza point blank if Fillory is real, and and she doesn't really give him an answer. And this is, of course, where where he's told he's unremarkable and all of that. But she asks if he dreamed of Fillory before the attack and says that she dreamed of it, too. So, again, obviously, they had Quentin on their radar at Break Bills. Are they able to monitor his dreams? Did they know he's dreaming of this somehow? I mean, is this did she really dream of it as well? We don't get an answer, but or it's just. Yeah, right. Or by, you know, is she able to access this world of fillery and that's like maybe a club or something? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she she tells him not to hop back on the garden path. And isn't that what the they're telling him to do in fillery, right? right. Well, uh, fillery, Jane tells him to stay off the path because right. being on the path enables the beast yes. to track him. Right. But then somebody in the school, maybe one of the teachers told him to stay on the path. Right. And, and but then Eliza sells, I'm sorry, Eliza tells him not to hop back on the garden path. Right. Right. And I love her line. You know, one of the last things she tells him, everything's connected. Don't overthink it. Right. So it's kind of like what Elliot's trying to tell him too. You know? Right. But are they, expecting him to operate solely by instinct i don't know i i think probably with a guy like quentin they want him to rely on his instinct more than he does because right now he's a guy who overthinks everything yeah you know though he didn't really think too much when he threw the combat spell at penny Good point. Right? So maybe they're like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. You need to do some more of that. And in his test in the room before the five right, teachers right. With, with the cards. Yeah. So good point. All right. Um, anything else you want to bring up? I think, yeah, I think that's, that's probably it except for, you know, well, this chick, uh, I'm sorry, this, this lady Marina, right. Is that her name? The, who's the head of the, the, you know, we thought Pete was the guy in charge. Right. Pete's not. Pete's, Pete's like the second in command. Right. Marina's in charge. And, uh, but she, you know, again, she's got, there's, I mean, she's, she's got layers. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, what, what turns out to be her deal. Yeah. I'm really glad we've got 13 episodes rather than only 10, because obviously a lot of shows these days have been going down to 10 or even starting from 10. And in fact, some, especially on Netflix, they're, they're even at eight 
albeit right. they're a little longer. <laughs> but uh, all right, well, why don't we hear what Fred has well, to hold say? On. I, I oh, just, okay. One more thing I just realized because we missed a, uh, a, a shout out to a favorite of of this podcast, and that is Mr. Hiro Kanagawa, who is in an early scene. Oh. Right? The guy who was like in Caprica and everything, like, and he was in, I think he was in Continuum too. And he was in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I know who you mean. He Yeah. I like, didn't know his name. Right. Yeah. Right. He was totally in. Like uh, he was like part of the the cleanup crew, and in the beginning he was in Altered Carbon, Man in the High Castle. Yeah, he's just been in everything, um, but but like he does have like a big, like role. Cool, you know. So, so far, anyway, yeah. Who knows? So, all right. Well, let's hear what Fred has to say, and then we will come back and try to answer some of the questions that we haven't already talked about. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the musicians. Season one, episode two. First off, this is my first recording with a hanging microphone. So I really can touch my keyboard and my table without giving any disturbance to my microphone. So hope this will improve the quality of my audio feedback. Well, at least for audio quality. For content, that's another matter. One of the things I thought was funny was when Alice and Quentin are talking about the Villary book and then they are going to watch this video. Alice was saying uh, something like, of course there are different worlds, but Villary is fantasy. Uh, different worlds, not fantasy. Well, it's genre. I got the impression that Elliot and Margot are nicer than I first thought from the first episode. I thought they were just teasing older year students, but I think they are, or they could be okay. I had one nitpick when uh, Marina and Julia were in this meat locker and couldn't get out, that they were afraid to freeze. But there were so many liquids in there, which were all not frozen, that it was probably, and of course that's still cold, four degrees Celsius or something like that, but not really freezing. Unless all those liquids were with alcohol or formaldehyde or whatever other stuff that takes care that the liquids are not freezing. So, cold, yes. Freezing, no. And of course, being afraid of freezing to death was only for Julia because Marina was, was involved in the scheme. I really wonder what Pete's team, or actually Marina's team, she has the five stars on her arm, is really doing. Are these people who were originally expelled out of break bills and made their own organization? I don't think they are in one team with the Mothman, the Beast. I think that's another big evil. And what is the power they have? So Pete and Marina over Katie... And will there be a connection between the disappearance of Alice's brother, Charlie, and the Chatwins? So, from the Fillory book. And why did Dean Fox's watch went into Quentin's hand and later on disappeared and resolved into sand? It did resolve in the fact that Quentin was able to stop the frozen state of everybody. A lot of mysteries, a lot of unexplained stuff so far. But that makes it interesting for the next episode. 
and probably episodes. Okay, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of questions. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Now, you know, he, he a lot of the things Fred brings up, uh, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about, but he, he does mention about Elliot and Margot seem to be nicer than he thought they were from the first episode. And and I would agree, we don't see a lot of Margot in this episode. No, we don't. And with Elliot, I, I would certainly agree because he really does take Quentin under his wing, so to speak, and, and really does try to give him advice. Obviously, he's no more than a year or two older than him, so I don't necessarily want to call it fatherly advice, but but certainly um, he can speak from the voice of experience, and it's, it's pretty heavy stuff, as, as you mentioned, with his story about how he learned that he was telekinetic. So, yeah, I, I, Fred, I definitely agree uh, that I think Elliot especially. Margot, I'll still reserving judgment just haven't really seen enough of her other than when she tells alice come on we got to get you some better clothes and, right uh, she, she definitely seems to be like a female kind of counterpart of elliot you know still of the kind of devil may care you know live life to the fullest while you can uh, school of thought right now he brings up uh as a nitpick when they're in the meat locker and, um, you know, whether or not they were actually going to freeze or, you know. Or if they would some other appendage freeze before they froze their tits off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not below zero, but uh, anyway. It, of course, Marina knew it was a scam all along, as Fred says. So, you know, there is that. And, and throughout virtually their entire time in the meat locker we don't know that so you know that, that that's cool and fred brings up and this is arguably one of the most fascinating aspects of the series through two episodes and that's of course pete's team and their origins are they the enemy are they frenemy are they we don't know yet but right. um yeah, certainly, I mean, you know, they are running, um, you know, espionage at break bills. And so that doesn't seem like there's full cooperation between them. And obviously, it seems like their philosophy as far as magic goes seems a little different. So, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem like they're all out enemies either right and, and he brings up whether or not they're on the beast's side and and of course he says uh, as we've said we certainly don't think they are but you know is it going to be one of these deals where you know they're, they're almost like this rogue group that doesn't have the financing behind them so if we're going to fight the good fight then eh, okay so we need to steal a few things from break bills they they've got all the cool toys and, right they're not going to miss a few items here and there. So you know, maybe- clearly they don't because they just get this thing. Like they, it doesn't seem like it's very difficult for them to get this this thing that uh, that Katie gives them. Right, and, and so now we have to wonder, Katie, where do her allegiance lie? Um, it, is it with Pete or is it with Break Bills? I mean, we'd certainly have to assume it's Break Bills because she does seem to be coerced. 
by Pete. But again, I mean, you know, as we said, why? The other thing we didn't talk much about and that Fred brings up is the disappearance of Alice's brother, Charlie, um, and the Chadwicks from the Fillory books. So are they connected? Is her brother... You know. Yeah, is he the beast? Yeah, well, which I think we do. do we suppose that we was that something we threw out there last time? I yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing no, but I, again, we can't overlook there. There might be a connection between her brother and well, yeah, Fillory. So because the the spell they they did was to so she can make contact with her brother, and the beast walks through. So right. that's like, but of, of course, again, that's. It seems a little obvious, so. Well, and then especially the fact that she claims to have never heard of the Fillory books. So what a you know great irony that would be if it turns out to be some kind of connection sure. like that. And then, you know, he brings up the watch from Dean Fogg and, you know, why it goes into Quentin's hand. Obviously, Dean Fogg thinks he needs it for something, but then the fact that it turns to dust – yeah, it seems like they get just limited amount of like you know juice out of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know. Great questions, Fred, and hopefully we'll get some answers. Um, but Fred, before you know we we sign off here, I do want to mention that I did watch episode three of Hemlock Grove. Nice. And I did enjoy it. I I think it's going to be one of those series, while I like that there's just so much on, but there are those nights when I'm sitting there, well, I finished that show. That show doesn't start till the weekend. Eh, Let me knock off another episode of Hemlock Grove. And hopefully I can just remember what's going on. So far, so good. It's it's, it's not been that long. (laughs) But... uh, um, anything you want to say about Fred's feedback no, or no, good. anything else? Yeah. All right. Um, what about a grade? Uh, I'm, I'm like hovering between like a B and a B minus. Honestly. Oh, we're not, we're not in sync. We're right not in now. sync here, huh? Yeah, not tonight. I, I was going a minus. I really like this one. Uh, I mean, it was okay. I don't know. I don't know what, no, I just, it didn't, I wasn't feeling it with this one. Okay. So what do you want to go? I'll go. I'll go B. Okay. All right. So you'll go B, and I'll so, go. So we're not that far apart. Okay. All right. Then we don't have to regrade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or we don't have to make a contribution to the podcasting school. So that. Uh, um, anyway. You'd be lost with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the you know the thing with the parents paying five hundred thousand. Oh so right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, before I go too far off the rails we'll go ahead and leave it there and uh that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us we'd love to hear what you think about haunting of hill house travelers of course the magicians anything else going on in genre tv encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community you can send us emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website we'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one episode three titled consequences of advanced spell casting but until then so dave i was actually writing a letter to peter frampton um and i figured i, I want to run it by you first if it has the proper tone for it so um dear mr frampton in ray your query 
No, I don't feel like you do.